everybody. Uh, if you haven't listened to my most recent update video, I would encourage you to go and do that first. But I am getting ready to go into a transition period in my life where I'm leaving the church that I'm at. And I was thinking about what I would be preaching as my kind of final sermon as the pastor there. And I realized that I'd never preached about my favorite verse of the Bible while I was there. I've done a five-minute sermon about it here on this program, but I've never done a full sermon on that passage. And so that's what I want to do today, is look at what is probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible, and just spend some time talking about it. So it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16, and the actual verse is verse 7, but we'll start back at verse 1, so we're getting all of that wonderful context there. Uh, so what you need to know if you don't really know anything about the Bible or what it's taking place in 1 Samuel is that Samuel is a prophet of God, and he's really upset because God has just rejected King Saul as the king of Israel. And Samuel is understandably upset that Israel is going to be losing its king, and it's at this moment that God comes to him. So 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we'll stop right there because that's the verse that I want to talk about, especially that sentence, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I'm sure I could talk about this for a very long time, so I'll try to keep this somewhat brief, you know, within the normal time that my sermons go. But let's consider first how this statement is in response to the thought that Samuel had. That Samuel, in seeing Eliab, sees him standing there, tall, handsome probably. This guy looks like he would be the next king. As far as keenly looking people go, Eliab fits the bill. And so we see Samuel kind of coming into this with his preconceived ideas of what the next king should look like. And the previous king, King Saul, was said to be head and shoulders above everybody else. So Samuel, as he's going to look for a new king, is trying to find somebody that looks a lot like Saul. He's really trying to find just a Saul replacement, right? A Saul 2.0 that can take the place of Saul. 
And this probably shows that Samuel was still grieving about Saul and hadn't fully let Saul go yet because he was really just trying to get back something that he'd already lost. And because of that, he was looking in a, this very superficial way at Eliab. And, oh, this person looks kind of like Saul did. You know, they were both very tall. Therefore, this must be the next king. And God is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm looking for here. And that's not what you should be looking for either. And he's encouraging Samuel to look deeper than just that surface level appearance. And really everything about this verse is teaching us to look deeper and in different ways. And the first of that ways is just by looking past the surface. Looking past just what's right in front of your eyes. And in this case with Samuel, it's not even just looking past physical appearances. It's also asking him to look beyond his own perspective. So that instead of him just seeing what he wants to see, that he's seeing what is actually the case. What's, what's the real situation happening here? Instead of just through the rose-colored glasses that I want to see it through. Now remember, Saul ended up not being a great king. Sure, he was physically strong. He was physically tall. He fit the bill that way. But he was disobedient to God. And so God is saying to Samuel here, look, just because they look great on the outside doesn't mean that they are the right person for the job. And there's more things that you have to consider rather than just the first thing that catches your eye. And that's something that is a lot easier said than done for us. Because all of us have certain things that we are interested in, things that we naturally focus on. And sometimes it can be difficult for us to look at a whole perspective of something because we are focused on just a couple points. But when we are only focused on one or two things, then we miss out on that larger picture and we only get just that surface grasp of the situation. And so we need to take some time to take a step back and kind of get a wider grasp on the situation. Okay, what is really going on here? And is there anything important that I'm missing? And that's really just a good skill to have in just about any situation. I know at my other job, uh, earlier this week, I had to renew my first aid and CPR training license. And so I was watching, you know, these first aid videos. And one of the things that they kept mentioning was, you know, the first thing you have to do is check out the situation, and then, you know, call 911, do what you need to do, and then go back to checking the situation again. Go back to checking the person more thoroughly. Because what can happen is you might look at a situation and identify an issue right away, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the only issue or even the most important issue to be aware of. So, for instance, let's say you step into some, you hear a cry of pain and, and rush over to somebody's garage, maybe in your neighborhood, and you look in and you see somebody clutching their arm and there's a power saw on the ground next to them, right? Seems pretty straightforward, right? Well, they must have been using the power saw and hurt their arm. So, let's go in and take care of the arm. Stop for a second. First, 
maybe you should consider if there are any other power tools operating right now or any other piece of machinery that could hurt you if you just run in. Or maybe you should unplug that power saw so that it doesn't hurt anyone else. Or maybe make sure there's nobody around that used the saw against the person and they're going to get you next. You know, <laughs> obviously that's a crazy scenario. But the point is that just because you have identified an issue doesn't necessarily mean that there's not more to the situation than what you initially think. Maybe he's clutching his arm because he broke it recently and something jerked it and so his arm was hurting but he dropped the power saw and it cut his foot or his leg. So even then if you have identified a problem, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only problem. And all of this again is to say that when we come into it with this idea of what the problem is or we find one thing that's a problem and we kind of pat ourselves on the back for, yep, I've got it all figured out now. And we don't take any more time to look deeper into it. That we can possibly miss out on some pretty important stuff. And it may not even be safe to just rush right into the situation. Because we really don't have it as figured out as we think we do. And so we need to be careful that we avoid getting caught up in single details, to just find one thing that we clean on to and make it the hill that we're going to die on, and or this is all that matters, or this is a problem, therefore we need to stop everything to address this problem, whether or not it's even a big problem or not, because that's what you're caught on, and that's the one thing that you're not going to let go, and you aren't going to be satisfied till everybody else places as much focus on this thing as you do. Just because it is important doesn't mean that it's the only important thing. And in the case of Samuel, it definitely wasn't the most important thing. It certainly wasn't a bad thing, but if we go back to what God is telling him in this moment, God is telling him that it's not the most important thing he needs to be focused on. That it's people that look at the outward appearance. But God is looking at the heart, and God in analyzing Eliab's heart determines that he is not the right person to succeed Saul, that somebody has a better heart, and that heart is more important than their appearance. And God is telling Samuel here, look, you need to focus on what is more important, because what's important here is not how he looks. What's important isn't that outward appearance. It's not that surface level thing. You need to look deeper. And when we allow God to lead us into this perspective that looks deeper into situations and looks deeper at people, not just how they look to the outside, not just the things they do or what they may have said at one time or another, but what is the condition of their heart? And when we allow God to show us that, then we begin to focus on things that are much more important. This is why I often say that some of the worst things are done with the best motivations. Because we find something that is important, or at least important to us, 
and we will do whatever we can to address that issue and not realize that in trying to fix that problem, we are, we are creating much greater other problems. And so if we're not careful, even our desire to do good can be twisted around by the enemy to cause more harm than good, to cause more destruction than blessing. I was at a convention once, and I heard this man tell a story about when he and his son, and I think the son was maybe about 8, 9, 10, somewhere around that age range, and he and his son were going to go get food while the girls in the family went and did something else. And this man wanted to use this as a special opportunity to make his son feel more like a man. That he's he wasn't just a five-year-old kid anymore. He, he was growing up and he was becoming a man. And so he told his son, he said, Son, I will let you order whatever you want from this menu. I'm not going to order it for you. Now, you know, I think he set some boundaries of what was reasonable, right? Don't just go and order, you know, three chocolate shakes or something. It's got to be healthy, right? So provided kind of that boundary for him to operate in, but said, I am not going to order your food for you. I'm going to let you order your food. And the son was very happy about this. You know, he, he felt like a grown-up. He felt like a man, and he was ready to order his own food. And he orders a sandwich, like one of those big, thick sandwiches, like a BLT with lots of different toppings on it, things like that. And they sit down, and the food comes to them. And the man said that when he saw the sandwich and how big that sandwich was, he knew that his son would not be able to get his mouth around that huge sandwich. So he took the knife that he had, and he reached over the table and began to cut that sandwich in half so that his son would be able to eat the sandwich. And right after he did that, he realized what a big mistake he had made. Because he had been telling his son this whole time that he was going to let his son have his meal his way. And yet despite telling his son that he was giving him all of that authority, as soon as the food was there, he reached over and adjusted his son's food without his son's permission. So even though he had said, here's all the authority for you, it was instantly taken away from him just as quickly. And his son was devastated by that. Now, of course, the man was just trying to help his son eat his food. But in his desire to be helpful, he crushed his son's spirit. You see, on the surface level, right, any observer from the outside would see that as something that is nice and helpful. But someone who knows what is happening in that situation realizes that the priority in that moment shouldn't have been helping his son eat the sandwich. What the priority should have been was prioritizing this son's opportunity to feel like a respected fellow man. That's where the priority should have been. Now, thankfully, this man did <laughs> apologize to his son about it, and they talked about it, and it was all smoothed over. 
But I share that story with you to illustrate how when we do get kind of caught up in a single detail, you know, whatever's right in front of us, the first thing we notice, and we go and try to address that problem, how that act of trying to address that surface level problem can sometimes have much deeper consequences in our life. And it can break relationships that were more important than whatever this problem was that we wanted to solve. And so we need to be careful that not only are we being aware of all of the details in a situation and constantly trying to have a better understanding of who we are and who other people are and what the situation is that we're in, always trying to understand that better and collect that information, that understanding, that not only are we doing that, but also that we are understanding which of those things needs to be prioritized and what is more important than other things. And that's a very careful process that we need to do because how we prioritize things in our life will determine what kind of life we end up having. And if our priorities are not in the right place, we can fix all kinds of problems and do all kinds of good work, and yet in the end, cause more harm than good, and end up in situations that we never wanted to be in, and we wonder how we got there, and oftentimes it's because we weren't prioritizing what was truly important. So then the question becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we know what to prioritize? How do we know what's most important? Well, it's not something that we just kind of figure out on our own. In fact, look at how that issue was addressed for Samuel. Samuel came in with his preconceived notions, and he was focused on the outward appearance, which was not what he needed to be focused on. And as he is standing there, with all of his misguided thinking and his certainty that this would be the next king, it was at that moment that God spoke to him, and Samuel listened. Even as Samuel was there, thinking that he had gotten the answer, in that moment he was still listening for God's voice. And what a good thing for him that he was doing that. Otherwise he could have anointed the wrong king and that could have led to much bigger issues for Israel. But because Samuel, even though it was so obvious that this guy should be the next king, and he was so certain of it, despite all of that, he was still listening for God to guide him. And we should then do the same thing when we are looking deeper into our lives. That we aren't just trying to figure things out on our own. We aren't just trying to prioritize things through our own efforts and through our own wisdom, because, boy, our wisdom pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. And so instead of trying to figure everything out on our own, we instead need to keep our ears open for God to guide us in what we need to focus on. Because what God focuses on is far more important than what people naturally focus on and what people tend to notice the most. God is looking at all of us in much deeper ways 
then we tend to look at each other. Think about that time in Jesus' ministry, as he's going around healing people miraculously and teaching them about the kingdom of God, and, and he's very clear that he's there for the lost sheep of Israel, and even tells other people, look, I'm not here for all of you right now, I'm here for Israel, and, and to be their Messiah. That's my purpose right now, and I'm, I'm focused on that. And during that time, as the Israelites were under Roman oppression, and Jesus is doing his ministry, that walking up to him in Matthew chapter 8 is a Roman centurion who comes before Jesus with a request. And Jesus, in response, he doesn't say, you're a Roman, get out of here. He doesn't say, you're persecuting my chosen people, leave. What Jesus does in the course of this conversation and what we see him most focused on is that eventually he says that his faith, this Roman centurion's faith, is greater than anyone else that he's come across in Israel. He's not looking at his Roman outfit. He's not looking at his position as a centurion. Instead, he is looking at the condition of his heart and recognizing his faith. Because that is so much more important than anything else about him. His position doesn't matter. What people group he was born to doesn't matter. What matters is, what is the condition of his heart? And is it one that believes in who Jesus is? And of course, his faith was way more important than anything else about him. As he was coming to Jesus saying, please heal my paralyzed servant. Nothing else mattered about him except his faith. And that's what Jesus was focused on. And when we let God direct our focus, when we try to have eyes that are like his eyes, perspectives that are like God's perspective, a heart that is like God's heart, and we let God guide us in what it is that we focus on, those are the things that we will find ourselves focusing on, which of course are far more important than anything else on the surface. The condition of our heart is way more important than anything else about us, and people's hearts are way more important than anything else about them. It's not about the outward appearance. God doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if we let him direct our focus, that's what we're going to focus on. Not how people look, not even just on things they do and say, but where is their heart at? What's really going on? beneath the surface of that person, because that's what we need to be focusing on, way more than anything else. Now, I'm doing pretty good on time for today, so I'd like to do one more kind of illustration, if you will. You see, if you know me in person, you will know that I love to wear hats. And if you don't know me in person, you've never met me before, you may be surprised to learn that I preach with a hat on. 
And I even pray with a hat on. And I know that for some people that can be very controversial. And I have heard a wide range of responses to me wearing a hat while I preach. And I want to share with all of you who are listening today the reason why I wear a hat. Okay, so this is, this is my big secret. You ready? I wear a hat while I preach, while I pray, throughout the day, just anytime I leave the house, I'm wearing a hat. The reason why is because I think I look better with one on. And that's really it. I just think I look better when I'm wearing a hat than when I'm not wearing a hat. So I just prefer to wear a hat. I think I look better. I'm more comfortable with it. And so I like to wear a hat. But uh, I think the bigger question that people actually have is why do I still wear a hat even when it's controversial? If it makes some people upset and, and people kind of argue about whether it's okay or not, why, why do I still wear it? If it's just a silly dumb hat, right, and I'm only wearing it because I like it, why not set my comfort aside, right? Why not take it off for the ease of other people, right? To make people more comfortable. Why, when it's controversial, do I still wear it? And here's the reason why. What I've come to discover is that wearing a hat really does help me to be a better pastor to people. And let me explain why. One of the difficult things about addressing someone's heart is knowing what condition their heart is in, to really understanding where they're at and how they will respond to teaching from the Bible. What if you teach something that maybe they've never heard before, or maybe it goes against something they've always believed, how are they going to respond to that? As a pastor, that's something that's good to know of where someone's heart is and what kind of perspective they have to know how they will react to situations like that. And one of the things I've come to discover is that I can learn a lot about someone's heart by the way they react to my hat. Are they offended by it? Is there a lot of animosity and, and saying that I'm being disrespectful, right? De kind of declaring what's going on in my heart based on my outward appearance. Is that kind of their response? Or maybe it's one of just almost dismissal of, well, you know, you're, you're just going to do whatever you do. So I'll do my thing and you do your thing and, and that's it. Or maybe it's a reaction of, well, why are you doing that? Why do you like to wear a hat? What's going on there? I'm curious and I want to know more. Or maybe it's, you know, I'm I'm not really comfortable with it, but I'm, I'm trying to be more comfortable with it. You see, all of those different responses gave me, they give me wonderful insight into where a person's heart is. And it really does help me know how best to approach that person with any kind of truth. Now again, that's not the reason why I wear the hat. I'm just wearing it because I like it. But in seeing how people react to my outward appearance, and whether or not they are judgmental of me because of my outward appearance, or if they begin to ask questions to try to understand my heart, or anything else in between, it shows me what kind of pastor that person needs with where they are in their life right now.
And it also helps prepare me to be a pastor of a congregation that those people are in. Because if somebody is trying to condemn me for, you know, the hat on my head, well, I've got a pretty good indicator of how they're going to respond to a visitor walking through the doors of the church who doesn't look like anyone else in the church. And so really, the hat kind of becomes a great icebreaker of me being able to kind of see where people are and, and learn a lot about not just, you know, where they're from or how long or short their hair is, right? All of those superficial details that are what is most often talked about in small talk, but isn't really important. And instead, it, it gives me great insight into who they are and how they respond to things. And again, that, that's not why I wear it, but that is why I continue to wear it. But see, all of this revolves around the same idea of what are we looking at? Do we look at people the way that people look at other people? Just looking at the outward appearance? Or do we look at people through the eyes of God that looks at the heart? And how can we find ways to help ourselves focus on people's hearts rather than their outward appearance? To not just focus on that single detail that we tend to gravitate toward the most, but to kind of see all of the little details and, and try to gain a fuller understanding, all the while realizing what needs to be prioritized, what needs to be given the most weight, not through our own efforts, but through letting God direct us into those places through his word and through his spirit. And so I want to leave you today with this question. What is God trying to open your eyes to? Are you more focused on the superficial or the spiritual? Are you more focused on the fact that that question ends in a preposition, which is grammatically incorrect? Or are you more focused on what the question is actually asking and what God is trying to teach you through it? What is God trying to open up your eyes to? What does he want you to see? What details have been in your blind spot? And how do you need to prioritize the things that are in your life in the way that Christ demonstrated that we prioritize things and let God show you how to see others through his eyes rather than your own. So see, now I have gone a little long, but that's today's sermon in the pocket. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being here for all of your support. If you have any comments or questions for me, you can always reach me through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for listening. Thank you.